Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land, huh? How are your projects going? You guys raising that money, sending out those backer updates, keeping everybody uh, clued into what's going on with your campaign? This is going to be a big week here, I think, on Successfully Funded. Number one, um, we've got a great episode coming up today. Uh, I had a great conversation with Jillian Larkritz. I might have pronounced that incorrectly. I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's what it is. Jillian Larkritz. Uh, so Jillian has a really, um, really unique uh, Kickstarter campaign. Uh, it's called Baby's First Toy, uh, and the company is Yoey Baby, or I think the product's called Yoey Baby is what I should say. Um, and had a really great conversation with her um, about the struggles of actually putting out a baby toy on Kickstarter. It's not traditionally done. Uh, um, you know, I've seen a lot of failure when it comes to this. We also got into uh, timing. Uh, because she has such a short window, if somebody finds out they're pregnant and wants to get this for a, a newborn, um, you know, you've got a, you got a pretty tight window is when, to, when you can deliver this product. So we really got into a lot uh, about that conversation and just um, Kickstarters in general and, and what it's like um, starting a company uh, from the ground up. So that conversation is coming up later. But the other things that are happening this week... So I'm actually going to put out three episodes this week. I've got three really great conversations that are going to be coming up. So that's, that's, there's that. Second thing is, holy cow, do we have a big day tomorrow, right? I mean, we've got an election. And I, I'm sure like everybody else, is just tired of, uh, of the rhetoric, tired of the lies, tired of the garbage out there. It's enough, right? Aren't we all feeling like it is enough? So I am giddy that tomorrow... Um, you know, ends one way or the other, right? <laughs> At least it's over. So I know everybody's going to be glued to their seats and their eyeballs and their TVs and their internets and their Facebooks, and they're going to be watching to see, you know, what the outcome is. And, and God, I think we're all praying that it's not one outcome. At least pe- most of the people sane, right? I mean, really? You know, really? So the other thing, it's birthday week. Yeah. I've got a birthday, and we're going to have an episode that's going to launch on it. That's coming up on Thursday. I think I'm turning 37, so we'll talk more about that down the road. Um, but, you know, I'm also today got the wife working from home. Yeah, she's sick. She got, she got some sort of flu all weekend or something like that. Um, but, uh, uh, but, yeah, so that's coming up. So we got um, – what else we got going on here? What's the other thing? So, yeah, three, three episodes this week. We've got the election. We've got – my birthday week, um, if you're a Michigan football fan, you're feeling pretty good, right? That was a nice big win this week. So, I, you know, I'll tell you, this election, though, man, has really, really brought out something that I've been doing. And, and I read an article that I'm not supposed to be doing, which I think this goes along with all of it is, man, I've had to unfollow. I haven't unfriended, but I have unfollowed a healthy amount of people. I, I just can't comprehend stupidity. And I can't comprehend the other thing is... There's a couple women that I follow, you know, that I've known for a long time who are pro-Trump. And I just, I cannot figure out how you could connect the dots in that scenario on any level. Couldn't pick, I can't figure it out. I mean, seriously, I want, I almost want to have them on here. I wish I could have them on here. It's not really the right format, but I'd love to, I'd love to just hear how on earth could you connect the dots from A to Z to make this feel right for you? I just can't, I can't comprehend it. And that's not me judging. It's just dumbfoundedness. But, you know, the other... So, yeah, so now that I've unf- unfollowed a lot of these people, you know, I, I feel... I, I also feel bad because I'm like, you know, I don't want to surround myself in my own bubble, right? And I think that's what Facebook does to a lot of people where you just... I only follow what I like. That way I'm constantly being um, reinforced about my ideas as opposed to actually having good dialogue and good, good conversation. Now, the fact is half these times they're not good conversations. They're just absolute bullshit flat out right that's when i i get to a point where i'm like i gotta unfollow you i'm done i just you're you know it's not that you're bumming me out you're just it's just garbage you're just throwing out garbage 
so the other thing from this weekend is I really enjoyed the Bill Maher kind of staying on this election topic. Really enjoyed the Bill Maher episode on Friday. I mean, he was definitely dark. Um, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, I think ner- rightful nervousness, frankly. But um, one of his guests on the panel, which of course I'm blanking on because it's Monday morning when I'm recording this. And, um, but he really was harping on um, the fact that we, we've got to put value into trusted media sources that are doing the homework because if you if you hear the the um the president obama um interview part portion of this where bill maher interviews him we get into the fact that when you go on facebook you know an article that i could write without any research gets the same attention as something that the new york times might have spent six months on right or digging into or doing some investigative journalism right and you know so that's there's a difference to that. And we have to start acknowledging the difference that just because it's on my blog and it's on New York Times blog doesn't mean that they're equal or they should be getting equal attention. You know, they really shouldn't flat out. So I've actually done something. Um, I did it yesterday and I feel surprisingly proud about it, uh, which I don't know if I should or not, but I, I do, is I became a seven day a week subscriber to the, to the New York Times. Not the not the, the not the PDF digital version that gets lost in the sauce. I'm going to get the physical edition sent to me every day. And it's going to cost something. I, it's like 10 bucks a week. I get it, you know. Um, but I think that this is going to be my new commitment to not dissect, not getting all of my information from Facebook. Not you know, not joining in every single conversation because Joe Blow across the street said something and I'm a friend with him. But really getting my information and my knowledge from trusted sources. And now, granted, we could get into a debate of, well, the New York Times, you, you know, they have their agenda and blah, 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 blah. But to keep institutions like this around, I don't know how they're going to survive in a digital age. I don't know how we're going to survive in just digital advertising. I really don't. I don't see it for them. I, I think the music business, and I've talked about this a lot, the music business is uh, the forefront for what's going to be happening to every company, the movies industry, the traditional media, all this stuff, right? It, 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 at some point, we're going to be losing New York Times, Washington journals, you know, because there's no front door of... of you pay $2, you pay a dollar, you pay $10, whatever it is. Just like the movie theaters, you come in, you pay, you know, just like the music business, you know, you used to buy a CD, something, you had to buy something and we could get into that debate all day, but at least there was a, a consumption of something, right? So I do feel like, you know, it's not a patriotic act on any means or anything like that. And it's not me blowing my horn. It's just, I'm going to go ahead and invest in, I'm going to invest in, New York Times to deliver something, 10 bucks a week. So what is that? 40 bucks a month, right? So it's going to be a price a year. But that's where I want to get my information from. That's where I'm hoping to get opinions that have been researched or, you know, or, you know, or stories that have all the facts in it to then be able to make a true decision. Because I think how we got to this point in the election, my, my humble opinion, you know, which is like everybody else, it's like a belly button. We got them. But we've gotten all of our information from social media and there's no fact checkers and everybody's right. And if you think you're right, you're allowed to trumpet it and, you know, boost your post and spend 20 bucks and tell everybody that they're wrong. And that's just, man, I think that's how we've gotten to this point where we're not looking at facts. And I want to get back to a point that in four years from now, when we're having the next conversation and four years after that, that when I'm opening my mouth, it isn't based off something I read on Facebook. It's op- it's based on I invest in a, you know, a newspaper that's been around for a hundred years or whatever it is. You know, I read this every day. I go through stuff. What's going on in, in the world? Um, the other thing that's kind of sparking this for me is because we have such global clients, right? Philippines, Australia, Europe, UK, Italy. I mean, um, um, you know, we've got basically we have a co- client on almost every continent. I feel stupid half the time I'm on the phone because they're looking at us going, what the hell are you guys doing over there? And I'm also not, um, you know, versed enough in world 
conversations to actually speak intelligently to half my clients or my crowdfunding calls. I mean, just last week or on this episode, or I'm, I'm sorry, not on this episode, but this week, we're going to have an interview from a, uh, an entrepreneur from Colombia. We're going to have an interview with an, uh, an entrepreneur from Israel. You know, I felt, and I, this is my own, you know, nervousness, is I felt like I don't know enough. I want to know more. How am I going to know more? Facebook's not telling me. I got to go to something else, right? I got to go something else. So that's my new big thing. I'm excited about it. I'll, you know, maybe even on this episode when I have my intros, I move past, uh, you know, my personal stuff and talk a little bit more about, man, I found this out in Israel and, and, or whatever it might be, or Australia or whatever. So, all right, this is the time of the episode where I have to say it every time, two or three times a week, but Make sure you're telling a friend about the episode. That helps us out big time. Um, uh, you know, so go to the iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you get your your podcast. You can find us. Um, download it, share it, tell a friend. Um, outside of that, we want you to join our community on Slack. We've got a really, really great community going on. We're gr- with inside baseball conversations about crowdfunding. Um, you know, we're helping people out. We just had a, uh, a project called Pickle Pusher get passed um, just by us f- helping with a little bit on the video. So Sean's going to have a really great blog story that's going to come out, um, kind of a case study slash blog coming out in a couple weeks. And, um, you know, join that. It's free. And you get to talk to me, Paul, Sean, all the, all the people from Woodshed Agency whenever you want. We're on there all the time. Um, and then make sure you're subscribed to the blog. A lot of great stuff coming out there. So, all right, let's go ahead and kick into my conversation with, with Jillian uh, Larkett's and uh, her company, Yoey Baby and Baby First Toy. Here's my conversation. This is a hip-hop collaboration, not exaggeration. Now it last you tasting everything we got. Ain't no wasting for your tricky thoughts that keep on bouncing in your dome. Like the leaky faucet that keep on dripping in your home. It ain't the last you've seen of me, more like a return to the store for something you want with more money to burn. I'm like the money you earn, see it. Should have just it should just happen, right? Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah, we're going. We're cool. going. Excellent. So I usually like to start these conversations off with you kind of giving my listeners just like your rundown. Like, tell me what your project is and uh, what you're doing on Kickstarter right now. Okay. So Yoey Baby is an interactive developmental toy for young infants. It's really designed to be baby's first toy. So when a baby can't sit up, can't grasp, can't move around, there are really no toys that allow us to play with our babies. And we really believe that babies are born ready to play. And if you look at all the um, developmental early childhood brain science right now, what it's saying is that playful, nurturing interactions actually help to build brain architecture. So we are literally helping to form the foundation for all future learning, behavior, and health when we play with our babies. And yet, if you look at the marketplace, there's great toys for kids, you know, little babies and when they're six months old. But in those first six months, there's absolutely nothing. And so this is a toy that lets uh, new parents and caregivers really playfully connect with their little ones beginning on day one. That's cool. Yeah. And that's a huge, huge marketplace you're playing in. Uh, I'm still holding on. I have a five and a three year old and I'm still holding on a bunch of their baby, like early baby toys, you know, the, uh, those kind of, you know, which are crinkly and, you know, a mirror, um, what else is there? You know, just ching noise makers type of little things is, is kind of, I feel like the most of the market. But when I saw this, I, I don't remember, we had no feather type of thing. So how, where did that come from, uh, that, that sort of idea to kind of explore this? Well, first of all, let me just make a comment about some of the things that you just mentioned. Those, those toys that you just mentioned are great, but but I classify them as all static playthings, meaning um, they don't really allow you to be very interactive with your baby at that age. I mean, a baby can't um, pick up a piece of crinkle paper. Um, they can't, you know, maybe there's a, a rattle that you can shake in their face for a minute or two or crinkle some paper in their face. or Right. Right. A stuffed animal, they can bat it there with a ball, but there's really not much that you can do to play together and engage in really like interactive play where there's a role for both caregiver and baby. So that's what we're really excited about on this project. But I'll tell you where that's that's, a, that's intriguing. I, I never thought about the classifying them because you're, you're you're spot on. These were just, just things I gave my son or daughter, and they just 
held for what a minute you know and, right. or you held it for them because they couldn't or i held it for them or whatever it was and that was it that that's as far as right, the, right. The, the back and forth went you know right right interesting i never thought about that way so as a new mom um well let me back up and in a previous life on a really early career i helped to um roll out an early childhood development center across the country. Um, I had no experience in early childhood development at the time. I came to it through sort of business and marketing, uh, fresh out of graduate school. And, um, and as I spent time, uh, you know, helping to open those centers, one of the things that I learned is that the critical windows for cognitive development were zero to three. I didn't have kids at the time. I wasn't married. It really didn't mean that much to me other than using that as important information to share with the parents who were coming into the facility. Right, right. Um, fast forward years later, and suddenly I have my first little one, and I wake up out of, you know, a sort of survival state the first three months. I figured out how to change a diaper, get her to sleep, get her fed. And I looked at her and I thought, now what? Um, I right. knew that I was supposed to be doing something with her, but I just didn't know what to do, even having had that experience long ago. And so I, I looked at this basket full of toys that I had. And as I just said, there was nothing for us to play with. She couldn't sit up. She couldn't grasp. She couldn't move around. You know, we got bored with a rattle after a moment or two, you know, a ball that she could bat it with her hands. And, and there was just, there was truly nothing for us to play with together. So I went in search of activities, age-appropriate activities that we could do together, and that would be good for her development. And one day I came across an activity that said, um, if you go into your closet and find a swatch of velvet or a piece of silk or a feather boa um, and gently caress your baby's body with it, it's good for body awareness and sensory development. And I thought, wow, that sounds like a great activity. And then I looked around and I thought, well, darn, I don't have a swatch of velvet just laying around and I don't have a silk shirt that I really want to run across my baby's belly when she's spitting up and um, my feather boa. Well, that seemed better days. I'm not putting that anywhere near my baby. And so um, I, I never got to the activity. Um, and as a new parent, you can probably relate, you know, it's if you've got 10 minutes of time, the last thing you're doing is running off to Joanne's fabrics, you're going to take a shower or, right. um, you know, do something else at home. So so I never did it. And then one day, um, I came across a feather that I had tucked away in a drawer, and I thought, oh, I can try that activity. And so I pulled out the feather, and I put my little one on the bed, and she was just in a diaper, and I gently started caressing her with the feather, and I rubbed the feather around her head and across her belly and her toes, and her eyes started fluttering, and she started cooing. And it was one of the first times as a new mom that I felt like I was giving her pure joy beyond just meeting her basic needs. Um, and, you know, as a new parent, that's what you live for is making your little one smile. And she was just, um, gosh, a little over three months old, almost four months old. So, you know, I could tell she was really enjoying it. And that made me feel so great. And it was good for her development. So it was this win-win. We got lost in that activity for, oh gosh, like 45 minutes. Um, it gave us something to do. We both were having so much fun. And that became our special playtime together. Um, it calmed her when she was fussy. We could, um, we, we sort of giggled and we smiled and she cooed. It, it was really great. But now suddenly she's six months old and she's taking that feather and she's putting it on her mouth. And I knew that that was not baby safe. And that's where, right. you know, sort of the moment came and I thought, well, gee, what if you could create a baby safe feather out of those irresistibly touchable fabrics like silks and velvets and microfiber chenilles? Um, and that's where the idea was born. Wow, that's cool. So so now that you're sitting with this you know, the kind of, I guess, the, the the fruits of the idea, right? It's probably starting to, you know, tickle your brain. Like, yeah. how could I tie this all together? You know, what is that first step when you're, you know, I guess, prototyping at that moment? Or how do you start to connect it into from the feather to a toy with, you know, that, that can actually at some point be produced? Yeah, well, well, good question. I had no idea at that moment. I just knew I had this idea and I thought, huh, 
how the heck do you create a toy? Um, so really, I just started doing a bunch of research. I thought, well, maybe I need a toy designer. And I searched and I searched. I remember I called um, the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York and asked if there were any students who worked on toys that they might connect me with. That was a dead end. I did a ton of Google searches on toy designers. And I eventually found somebody uh, who actually was local to where I was living, who um, wasn't a freelance toy designer. And I met with him and I told him about my concept. And um, he came back to me with a prototype that actually took my idea and even evolved it one step further. Um, and actually, over time, I've had a number of different prototypers uh, work on the concept. We've done tons of brainstorming and iterations um, to sort of create the product that we landed on today. So, so let me let me ask you a question here on that one. So, how did you find comfort, or you know, address the vulnerability of going from an idea in your head to like giving it to somebody else to kind of you know, either not even just make it better, but just how do you get through those first couple steps? Because that's something I, I coach a lot of my clients on to just be comfortable giving it over to somebody else, right? Or stepping over that line that you know you might not be that comfortable with. Was that a challenge at all for you? And if it was, you know, how did you address it in your head? Yeah, great question. Well, I'll be honest. I had a little bit of a head start in that particular area because my career had been in product innovation and brand strategy. So I had spent a lot of years consulting um, with big uh, consumer packaged goods companies and helping them develop new ideas. And so what I knew is that when you come up with an idea, um, it can't just live in your head. What you have to do is you have to take that idea and translate it into words on paper. And you right. have to give it life and start to dimensionalize it as best you can, both for the words on paper, but also trying to make it um, three-dimensional in a way. So I had this feather and that that gave me, that was the analog that I was trying to get to. Um, and I also spent a lot of time just writing down bullet-pointed lists of what the features could be of this thing, what the benefits looked like. And I, I just shared those features and benefits and, you know, the actual feather um, with the people that I was talking to. And, and really the greatest tool that I had was taking this feather and my little baby and caressing her with the feather. I videoed that and showing that to people and saying, this is the holy grail. This is what I'm trying to create. Um, how can you help me do that? So I think that the best advice I can give is the very first thing you need to do to make your idea real is put it down on paper. You can hand sketch it out. You can bullet point it. Whatever you can do to get it out of your head and onto a piece of paper, um, I think is really helpful. That's great. So, so let's, let's go back a little bit. So where did you grow up? I grew up in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Oh, well, I'm yeah. in Detroit. Close so, to you, I know. Hometown. Uh, I uh, I actually um, little fun fact for some of uh, some of my listeners know this, but I do live sound at a mega church in Ann Arbor on Saturdays and Sundays. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so I drive there. Uh, I'll be there Saturday and Sunday this week. Right. Um, just there last weekend. Great. Awesome. Yep. But so do I'll, you still have family and stuff that, that live here then? Ed? I do. I do. And I love going back to Ann Arbor. But um, I I went from Ann Arbor to the University of Wisconsin in Madison. And after I graduated, I moved out to Colorado for one ski season. And um, I'm embarrassed to tell you how many decades later, here I am in Colorado. Uh, and now I live in Boulder, Colorado. Interesting. So what did your parents do? My father um, is a is a cardiologist, an academic okay. cardiologist, does a lot of research, and my mom is a psychiatrist. So I say they sort of took care of my heart and soul. Interesting. So I mean, now is this? Would you call this product your kind of first stepping into into entrepreneurship, or have you done other products? You know, not not in the company world that you were talking about earlier, but like on your own, like this. Yeah, I had never done an actual product. But I had two entrepreneurial ventures prior to this one. The first was um, opening up my own consultancy. I had worked for an agency for many years. And when I got married and had my first kiddo, I, I left that uh, consultancy and decided to open up my own agency. Um, and then after that, I actually launched a business with a consulting colleague of mine that trained entrepreneur 
entrepreneurs how to build a brand. So we built a curriculum that sort of broke brand strategy down into a simple step-by-step process um, and launched that, um, all the while kind of tinkering on uh, Yoey Baby in the background. Hmm. So, uh, you know, with your parents' background, where is this urge to be an entrepreneur starting to come from? Or, or you know, when did it start to, you know, rear its head and, 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 and have you started to go down this path? Um, you know, I've thought about that and I've wondered what the heck made me crazy enough to want to be an entrepreneur. And I think it's a couple things. First of which is, um, my dad is a consummate idea man. Uh, he actually has spent his career in academic research and, uh, he is really known for just his prolific, um, sort of generation of ideas and sharing those ideas with other people and encouraging people to, um, um, sort of take an idea and go run with it. So I think that probably, I come by it honestly, it's probably sort of in my nature. Uh, you know, I've also just been around a lot of very entrepreneurial people. Um, when I was, um, you know, doing consulting work at the agency, I had a business colleague who was just um, entrepreneurial, like to her bones. And that really inspired me and saw a lot of people around me just taking new ideas and going and running with it. And, you know, when you um, when your job is to come up with new ideas and then hand them over to other people to run with them, you know, at some point you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, wait a minute, why am I constantly giving my ideas to someone else? When am I going to come up with my own idea and try it on my own? So I think it just finally got the best of me. And um, I never thought it would be a toy. I wasn't expecting it. I, I wasn't searching for it. It just sort of, it found me. I think that's always the, the best way is when you're not really forcing something and it just comes out and you just look at it and you're like, well, this makes sense. Why don't I just work on this? It's, it's, exactly. you know, it's, it, keep it simple, right? Isn't that the, exactly. uh, you know, I'm like, why so, doesn't this exist? This is so crazy. Right. So, you know, kind of looking at the Kickstarter page, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you, you say on there 2009 is kind of when this idea is born and, you know, we're getting into 2017 here quicker than, uh, yeah. I imagine. God, the holidays are just going to be here like tomorrow. Um, so how did you keep the strength over the last, you know, seven now almost eight years to get this kickstarter launched uh like i mean that's a long time it's you a know long time. i know i don't i can't decide whether it's uh an embarrassingly long time or um it says something about something else i don't know um you know the truth of the matter is that you know i was working full time uh, when i first had this idea uh i was consulting i you know i had a young family i had to pay the bills and it just wasn't realistic for me to put everything aside and you know start Start to explore this, you know, kind of crazy toy idea I had. So um, I think just given the the nature of the work I was doing, which was again sort of always innovating new ideas for other people, that kept my desire alive to keep tinkering with it. Um, and I just I knew that it was gonna take like little baby steps to make some progress. And you know, I just I worked on it when I could. Um, it wasn't until about 2015, so about two and a half years ago when I finally had gotten it far enough and I knew I really had something that I decided to put everything else aside and really devote my energies full time to this. And at that point, I remember sort of looking at it and saying, well, gosh, what would happen if I actually stepped into this role full time and started treating this like one of my consulting projects, treating it like right. a real company. And at that moment, everything changed. Suddenly it became really clear what to do. Um, and, and the rest is history. So over this this period of time, what do you think has been the biggest struggle, or has there or has, has there been any moment that was just borderline unbearable where you were like, you know what, I just I just can't do it? Was there anything like that? Well, I would say every day is a challenge. Um, you know, there is, I was just thinking to myself this morning that, uh, you know, boy, it would be really easy just to quit and walk away from this. Um, having been up until one in the morning last night for God knows how many nights in a row. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, it is, this is a passion. I believe in this so deeply. I had such an amazing experience playing with that feather with my 
my little ones. And I, you know, as I've been able to prototype and innovate this toy, I have seen how much joy it brings to other new parents that I just want to share that with as many people as possible. I can get up every morning knowing that I am doing some good in the world by sharing some joy. Maybe, just maybe, if we can bring this level of joy to new parents and new babies everywhere, we can make a little dent in the world. And that's what keeps me going. That's awesome. So in in terms of, uh, I guess this is probably a very general question to putting out a baby product. Are, is there like standardized testing or testing at all for, you know, the materials you're using? Is there any sort of regulations around this? Oh, gosh, absolutely. And that was one of the first things that um, I knew I had to um, wrap my head around was what were the safety regulations and sort of compliance regulations that I needed to be aware of. So I ended up finding a safety consultant who um, had been in the industry for many decades. He was one of the pioneers in sort of safety testing. He sits on the uh, board of the safety committee for the Toy Industry Association. And I invested in bringing him on into the project very early on because, you know, there is literally no room for error here. We don't just want to meet the safety regulations. We want to exceed them. Um, And I guess sort of going back to your other question, you know, about where there are moments that have been real challenges, you know, making sure that we have a toy that we can safely, you know, give to to new parents and babies has been maybe the thing that keeps me up at night the most. Um, so, you know, fortunately, we've had really great people giving us consult um, and, you know, we've gone through all sorts of different levels of safety and compliant, compliance testing to get us where we are today. So let's flip a little bit over to the actual Kickstarter. So for my listeners who haven't checked it out yet, uh, you know, you're over 370 some backers right now. You had a $20,000 goal and you're actually, you know, you're at 25 with two weeks to go. So you're sitting in a very, very good position right now. So how did you get to the point where you were like, we're going to do a Kickstarter. And then when you made up that mind that you want to do that, what was kind of the first strategies to start bringing attention around, uh, around the product? Well, just, you know, how do we decide to do a Kickstarter? It was, it was not an easy decision for us because, um, we knew some people who had done Kickstarter campaigns and we knew how difficult it was. Um, we were actually really inspired by, I don't know if you remember the Goldie Blocks campaign. Oh, yes. Yeah, that's a- okay. That's sort of famous Goldie Blocks campaign. And Debbie Sterling did an amazing job bringing attention to, um, STEM toys for girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and that originally inspired us and we thought, wow, maybe there is an opportunity for toys on Kickstarter. Um, but we had a real challenge, which was we knew that because this was for babies that were the real sweet spot being the first six months of life, we couldn't do a Kickstarter campaign and then raise the funds to go into production and then deliver the toy a year later because our audience might age out of the toy. So right, right. We said to ourselves, well, gosh, if we're going to do a Kickstarter campaign, we have to find the funds in advance to do a first production run so that we can deliver the toy right away. Hmm. So there was a lot of analysis, you know, on our end trying to figure out, can we raise the money to do that? Does it make sense? And then if we're doing that, if we're already going into production, what is, what is the goal of a Kickstarter campaign? And where we ultimately landed is that we have a story. We, what we're trying to sell is a new behavior. I mean, it's a, it's a brand new toy. There is nothing like this on the market that exists. And so there's, it's a very difficult kind of frame of reference for people. It's not just a plush toy. It's not, it, it's a tool that you use to engage your baby beginning on day one. And so in order to sell that new behavior, we really needed to lean into, um, video and storytelling in a long format to, to help people to understand what this was all about. And so between, um, you know, the opportunity to actually raise some funds and, you know, pre-sell some product and, you know, bring in some money to help us um, sort of bridge us between everything that we'd invested to do that small production run um, and get us to the next level and also be able to tell our story through that video format, Kickstarter started to make a lot of sense. Um, so that's why we decided to do it. And, you know, the very first thing we did is 
we started talking to everybody that we could find that had done a Kickstarter campaign. And the thing that we heard um, most commonly was list building, list building, list building. That's the most important thing for you to do. And so we went into this um, hoping that we would kick off the campaign with, you know, um, a couple thousand names uh, and be able to launch the campaign, you know, with a pretty solid community behind us. Um, the the truth of it was that we actually ran into some challenges developing a list building website. Um, we were new at all of this and we mm-hmm. thought we could get it done really quickly. It didn't happen as quickly as we'd anticipated. So we actually didn't get to doing all that list building um, as, as much as we thought we would or could or should. And so we went into this came, campaign leading largely into our personal and professional networks along with um, some trade networks that we had tapped into um, through, you know, just a lot of the lead work we had done prior showing up at different trade shows and, and getting to know people in the industry. Interesting. So now, did you guys implement, you know, any sort of Facebook ad strategy or anything along those lines? We did. So we actually hired um, a couple different consultants to, to help us on this campaign. Um, again, being new to this, we wanted to try and get best in class thinking. So we work with someone who helps us do, you know, paid advertising on social media. We actually have a Kickstarter consultant who's been guiding us uh, through getting the campaign set up, making sure that our campaign campaign page really um, is positioned well to the Kickstarter audience. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also work with um, a PR firm. Nice. So, yeah. so, so out of, you know, all, all of this sort of stuff we just discussed, what did you put your, or what, as of this moment, do you have your, your, um, your fingerprint on that saying like, this was the most important thing we did here? Um. You know, I, I, I don't know what's the most important because I think all of those things are important. I think collectively you start to make some noise through paid advertising, through public relations, through all of your contacts. What I can tell you is that our highest conversion rates have most definitely come through email. So, mm-hmm. you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, but boy, if we'd been able to, you know, spend a little bit more time or, or do a, be a little bit more successful at list building, um, I think it would have made the campaign even more successful. But um, I would say just really leaning into um, email uh, blasts and email, you know, um, messaging and, and promotions has been the thing that's been most helpful for us to date. So now, now that you're, you know, now that you know uh, you funded, you're, I mean, you're in overfunding right now. Yeah. What does the next 14 days look like for you? Um, well, we're really rolling up our short sleeves right now and trying to figure that out. We just um, uh, applied last night and got accepted to Backer Club. So, you know, Backer Club is a community of um, Kickstarter backers, and we've offered them a special deal on our campaign. So we're giving them 20% off on all of our um, open rewards right now. So we'll see how that goes. Um, we are starting to dial up our uh, Facebook advertising and do a little bit more A-B testing to figure out in the next couple of days, which, are the, which is the messaging that's resonating best. Um, you know, we're also trying to figure out uh, how to lean into PR a little further. Um, we actually launched while we were at the big industry trade show for juvenile products. And so we had an opportunity to be in front of, um, gosh, over 30 different uh, media contacts. We're seeing some of those media hits start to play out, which has been great. But to date, those haven't been huge drivers um, in of campaign conversions. So so we're we're now trying to look at the you know concentric circles um, beyond just the the parenting and baby media. Where else can we start to tell our story and see if we can get some traction? Interesting. So something that just popped in my brain here, kind of maybe pushing back a little bit more around, around the product is how much in your in in this whole brand do you have to have almost the you know the pediatrician expert type of testimonial of you know of the science behind your product and how and and if so is that one of like the biggest investments where it isn't just you, us all taking your word for it, like, oh, y- it was great for you, but like really getting into the science of what's happening? You know, it's such an interesting question because um, it's something that we asked ourselves early on, like how much of this story is about science and how much of the story is about 
you know, engaging your baby in really playful interactions. And so, you know, we actually went to consumers and we did some focus groups and we asked lots and lots of new moms and dads. It was pretty interesting. Um, what we found is that when we leaned too heavily into the science, um, it started to hit a little bit of the BS meter for mm, some new interesting. parents. Interesting. Right? They, you know, I, I think the feeling was like, gosh, well, anybody can claim that. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's just a toy for crying out loud. But the fact of the matter is that there is a whole new body of emerging uh, brain science, as I mentioned earlier, that is telling us that these early interactions are just fundamental for our babies and for our little ones. And so, we actually feel like um, both messages are important, um, and we do have um, a great thought leader in early childhood development and pediatrics on our board of advisors, and she's been guiding us and helping us and, and really giving us some tools to, you know, try and communicate that message in a way that's very consumer-friendly and not too intimidating. Um, but, you know, we're still trying to figure out that balance, and we think that both are really important. Boy, I can I can just tell since I I mean I do branding and marketing too for all my clients and I'm just sitting here going I bet you that's the fine line you have to to walk in today's you know um, headline grabbing culture you know like you know that's we and we and we consume so quickly you know yeah. I mean half of the products I have here for my kids I'm just like I don't even I don't know, we just bought it I don't even know really know where it came from you know I, I don't really know a grandma a you know so so when you look at this market you know. How do you position yourself in a fairly crowded market, right? I know you, your product is, you know, only one like it, but, you know, there is still a ton of, you know, baby toys for, you know, zero to one, zero to six months. Sure. How do you stand back and position yourself as a leader in this? Well, first of all, I think we're we're still trying to figure that one out. And one of the challenges, um, as I think most Kickstarter creators um, know, is that without a product that you can share with a lot of people, it does become really challenging to figure out, you know, what would a consumer say? How would they talk about it? What's the real emotional benefit um, that connects with them? If you can't actually give them the product and let them try right. it and use it. So um, we're, we're using our gut intuition. We're doing our best through having conversations with people and, you know, using our prototypes to share with people and get their feedback. Um, but right now, what we're really leaning into is this idea of baby's first toy. And, and back to what I said about at a time when babies can't sit up, they can't grasp, they can't move around, this allows you to start interacting from day one. And, you know, really leaning into that joyful interaction and connection and bonding. So, you know, this is a, this is an important thing for dads as well. So, you know, dads have limited opportunities for bonding in those very early weeks and months, particularly when mom, you know, she's nursing. And right. so we found that a lot of dads really look at this as a bonding tool as well. So this idea of, you know, connection and bonding um, and playfulness beginning on day one is really where we're hanging our hat for right now. Um, but, you know, we will have product to deliver the first week of December. And I think that's the thing that we are most excited about is getting this into people's hands and letting the, the market help us to understand what is the real, you know, sort of emotional and functional benefits that resonate with the people who use the toy. So, you know, you know so as your company is kind of going and you have, you know, success starting to happen, you know, what are some like longer term term goals? Do you envision, you know, this being in all the babies are us's at some point, or do you envision just trying to stay online? You know, you know, and maybe we're in dreamland a little bit. We don't want to put a cart before the horse, right? But, but where are you envisioning this kind of the, 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 the I, you know, the project going? Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, I am on a mission to spread a million giggle smiles and coos. So I would like to see this. Uh, you should make t-shirts as that. I know, right? <laughs> um, I, that, that's what keeps me going. I'm spreading those giggle smiles and coos. Um, I would like to see this, uh, you know, in the hands of as many new parents and babies as possible. Because again, I just keep going back to this joy. It is such a joyful thing to do with your little one. Um, and I think it's a huge opportunity to help parents engage their babies in the kinds of interactions that 
you know, all this great science tells us they need to thrive. Um, we have actually spoken to Babies R Us. We ha- and we've met with them. We've also met with Bye Bye Baby. Um, we're looking, you know, we're going to get ourselves set up on Amazon. Um, we have a direct-to-consumer strategy. Um, we are, uh, you know, we already have about 70 specialty retail stores who have pre-ordered the product. So, we're just trying to get this out into as many channels as possible and, um, you know, see if, see what works and, and, you know, where we see the best traction. Direct to consumer obviously is something that, you know, we'd love to really dial up. One of the challenges we're having right now is the cost of shipping. Mm. Um, you know, so that's why Amazon is probably the best strategy for us in terms of a direct to consumer play. Speaking of shipping, because it seems like that comes up as the the number one, uh, you know, Achilles heel in every Kickstarter campaign. How did you approach shipping and the and that for this Kickstarter campaign uh, particular? Yeah, well, that was a really tough one for us because we have a pretty low price point for a Kickstarter right. product, right? So, you know, our our retail price point is twenty four ninety nine for this, and we knew that we needed to offer some, you know, special offers going on Kickstarter. So for our early bird uh, special, we offered our toy at fifteen dollars, and um, the real cost of shipping was, you know, somewhere between ten and twelve dollars, and we knew that that was just too much. So, right. um, we're actually eating the cost of shipping. And we did a flat rate of um, for one unit eight dollars, and you know we're eating a couple bucks there. Um, and you know at our different reward levels, we just tried to make it as affordable as we possibly could without actually losing money, um, sure. you know, on selling the product. And I, well, I got to imagine that you know the other metric that I would be giddy about if I was in your position is the the three hundred and seventy two uh, backers at this moment because those are pe- and, and that number is going to get bigger, right? But those are the people that believe in this, you know, would t- are probably tweeting on your behalf or, or th- those are your going to be your true core believers in your idea. And I think that's got to be the number that's very exciting, you know, yeah, that, yeah you know, absolutely. And, and so because of that, so my next question then is what do you envision? Do you have other products you see yourself coming down the road? How, how in depth are you going to get into the baby toy land? <laughs> Great question. That's, that's probably the most frequently asked question we get. Um, we do have a number of other products that are in our back pocket that we have started some development on. Um, we have a product line that's designed specifically for the professional early childhood development community, um, including like pediatric nurses, um, you know, early childhood development consultants. Um, we're actually going to a trade show uh, in early December. Um, that's for all the thought leaders in that space. And we have a new product line that we'll be showing there. Um, so it's really two-pronged. One, I think there's a lot of line extension opportunity on the current line that we have with different characters and different features that we could add. And then we're also looking at um, once we get this into the hands of you know our consumers, what are what are some of the tangential needs that you know are appropriate and and our consumers feel makes sense for us to expand into and and we have some ideas there um and we'll go out and we'll test that i mean i really believe that it's important for us to make sure that we represent the voice of the consumer in all the innovation that we do. So the first thing that we'll do is go out and start having conversations and visit with people who are using the toy um and figure out what you know some additional unmet needs are. That's awesome. Do you now for for these, you know, mentioned products that you're talking about, would you go back to Kickstarter for these launches, do you think? I mean, has the experience been good enough? Yeah, on this first round for you to go back? Um, boy, that's uh, you know, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Um, this has been a huge, tremendous push in in the best and most exciting way, but um it's it's a lot of work and it's um you know it is a huge commitment and i think it would depend on what type of traction we get in the marketplace and whether we felt that you know the kickstarter community was the right community to support support you know a new product uh, you know i think one of the more challenging things for us on kickstarter is really trying to figure out um 
our does does our target audience live on Kickstarter? You see so many, you know, sort of tech and gadgets and um, you know, products that aren't baby toys, you know, right. very few baby toys. And so we're still, you know, scratching our heads and wondering, is this the best fit for Kickstarter? I mean, it, it's starting to look that way, but um, you know, I, I think the jury's out. So so we'll make that call once we understand what the next product is. Yeah. I'm intrigued. I mean, when I, you know, when you uh, agreed to do the podcast, that was one of my first things is I have actually very rarely have seen uh, baby toys like this. Now I've seen toys. I mean, I bought some for my, uh, for my son, some cool wooden cars, you know, like, you know, Americana cars, you know, he's for a five-year-old. That's a, you know, yeah, (laughs) they can come whenever he's going to love the cars whenever they get here. But because I I mean, I think one of the most intriguing things you were talking about is just your, your time window. You know, uh, a two-year-old probably isn't going to be into your feather, right? right? Like they want their iPads that they're not supposed to have or whatever. Right. Although that. interestingly, I will say my, my girls are now um, four and seven and they still play with their yoes and they sleep with them as little stuffies and, uh, you know, that's cool. this has legs, but that's that's neither here nor there. I think, um, you know, the, the real question is, is Kickstarter a space where we have, you know, this target audience, you know, looking for new products. Right. Yeah. It's an interesting question that, uh, yeah, I, I don't have an answer. Cause I, like I said, I don't see one. And I actually know of a, of a good friend of mine, um, from the Traverse city area that put out a, um, like a baby chewing toy and failed on Kickstarter just cause it was, you know, great product, everything going well for it. Good marketing, good video. Everything was good. Right. It just there was, really wasn't an audience, and uh, and again, kind of that same window, you know, a baby chewing toy thing. You know, it's right, like right again, two year old doesn't really need that. You know, right? So it, you know, or whatever it might be. So well, interesting. Well, I, I mean, Jillian, I, I appreciate it so much. You take us the time uh, out of your day to, to chat about this, and I, I know my listeners are going to be into it because it's it's intriguing how you're using Kickstarter, and I think almost an, almost untraditional because of your product it, it, and and having success with it. So. It's, it's really cool. It's really great. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for uh, inviting me in. No problem. This is a hip-hop collaboration, not exaggeration. Now at last you're tasting everything we got. Ain't no wasting for your tricky thoughts that keep on... Well, how about that conversation um, with Jillian? A lot of really, really good stuff in there. So if you're somebody who's thinking about, you know, launching a, a kid's product, a lot of stuff to think about, no doubt, huh? So, um... So coming up, tomorrow's episode, I've got Danielle Castellanos, I think is how you pronounce her last name. It's, again, challenging for me to roll those R's. But um, her project is The Way You Backpack, and she's also doing really well on Kickstarter. Um, and we're going to get into social impact uh, when you're running a campaign. So so that's coming up tomorrow. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, like I said, go tell a friend, share it, send it out, and uh, let's go ahead. And, and big, biggest question of today is, can you keep a secret, huh? Right? Can you keep a secret? All right. Have a good one. See you guys all tomorrow. I'll give you something to see. I'll try and make you believe that we were meant to be. Can you keep a secret? Possibility that you and I can make it be Cause it gives my mind a night I keep to lock it up securely